Hello, I'm Brandon Dawson, and welcome to The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. Today's episode was recorded live at the Incline Public House in Cincinnati's Price Hill neighborhood, a bustling neighborhood bar and grill with a spectacular view of the Queen City. We met our guest, Julius Jenkins, just before the doors opened for Sunday brunch, and as you'll hear, the place filled up pretty quickly. Julius Jenkins is a man on a mission. Around Cincinnati, he's known by a couple of names, including Eclipse, his dance moniker or his street name. And uh, he's also known as the Millennium Robot, a character he invented and about which you'll hear more in our conversation. Julius is working, as he says, to bring street culture back to life in Cincinnati. We talked about his childhood living in the Middle East of all places, coming back to Ohio as a teenager, founding a couple of dance troupes, and now teaching hip-hop dance and street dance both at Elements, a center for hip-hop youth, as well as his role as an adjunct instructor at the University of Cincinnati's College Conservatory of Music. Julius is an amazing dancer, but he's much more than that, as you'll hear. We started off talking about what it means to be not just a dancer or an educator, but an ambassador, and why he believes street culture is the key to providing a future for kids in urban areas. I think the biggest, uh, the biggest thing we're missing here in Cincinnati is a real support for street dance culture among the um, urban youth community. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to do is really push that agenda forward to change the perception of what street culture could be, what street culture means, um, and that all the youth that, you know, are out, out there today are, that are into street culture are not, like, thugs and right. gang members and criminals, you know, like the, the perception's been for so many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I want to get deep into that, but I want to go back a little bit first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> How the, far back? Hold on. Uh, all the way back. Let me call my manager real quick. <laughs> We're getting deep. Going, going deep into the stories. No, I, I, the, the podcast, The Distiller, is a podcast about work. Mm-hmm. And it's a podcast about what different people do for work and how mm-hmm. they find meaning in their work. And work means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It doesn't just mean what you do to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I want to know a little bit about the path that has gotten you here before we talk about what your mission is right now. Because it sounds like you have mm-hmm. a really clear mission, but I, I kind of want to know whether that was all always the case. <laughs> so as far back as you want to go... Let's talk first, and, and we don't have to go into a ton of detail, but give us an idea. Yeah. Were you raised in Cincinnati? Were you born here? Uh, no. Where are you, where are you from originally? I was not. I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And, Just 100 uh, miles up the street, not too, not too far not away. Not too far. Uh-huh. Um, I lived there for the first 10 years of my life, mm-hmm. and then I actually left the country and uh, went to live in Saudi Arabia wow. for seven years. Because? Um, well, that's where my dad took a job. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, he was in the military, gotcha. and when he got out, you know, he went the contractor route and um, decided he'd never been to the Middle East. Right. So Why not? Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Six months years? later, the, the Gulf War started, so I don't know if that was a great idea. But. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I had seven years there, uh-huh. and then when I came back, we came back to Cincinnati because his family lives here. Okay. So what, how old were you when you came back? 17. Right so after. 10 to 17, you lived in the Middle East. Yep. Pretty formative years. Oh, yeah. You came back oh, yeah. to a Midwestern <laughs> urban city in the United States, like the antithesis of everything you lived in yeah. for most of your teenage years. Yes. How hard was that? It was, uh, it was interesting, um, readjusting to the way of life in Western civilization. Yeah. Uh, Growing up over there, you know, their, uh, their culture, their religion, it's very different, which makes societal living extremely different from here. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I noticed right off the bat and I had to get used to was the, the uh, no more separation of men and women. Right. Um, in the Middle East at that time in the early, early 90s. Uh, men and women didn't sit in the same rooms together. They didn't, um, you know, have unnecessary conversations together. And then I come back here and it was summertime. Right. And then in the city <laughs> and leaving a place where all the women, when you go out are covered and then showing up in the middle of summer to Cincinnati. When you like, went through, I mean, I don't, you went through puberty. You went through like your, yeah. your everything yeah. in yeah. a place where all of that was, extremely right. restricted yes 
Yes. And then dropping right and back then in. Right back here into, you know, the Daisy Dukes. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> man. Okay. But I was pretty, you know, there were a lot of things I noticed, but I wasn't like out of control. You know, I was very, I was still very reserved. I didn't, uh, I didn't go bananas or anything like that. I just noticed a lot yeah. of things. Just you were 17. You weren't 14. You weren't. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And it, did you drop back into high school when you came back, or were you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I uh, started my junior year when I came back here. And that's a lot to take on for a seventeen-year-old. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, the thing I will say about the school I was in over there it was an international school. Okay. And it was ran out of Pakistan, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it was based on um, British boarding school systems, uh-huh. so. You know, the standard of education at that school was so high that, sad to say, coming back here to the United States, things scholastically got very easy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I didn't, a multiple choice test for us over there mm-hmm. was like, was like a treat. Yeah. You know, every other examination, you might get a multiple choice test. Right. Everything was essay exam over there. It didn't matter what what grade you were in, you, you had essay exams, period. There were two weeks set aside for just examinations. There was, uh, all the curriculums were accumulative. You had to know everything that was in the book. There was no this part to this part. So coming back here and, and getting into, into um, you know, our particular schooling system, um, I went to Witten Woods in Forest Park, and that was, uh, it was a different experience. Um, I noticed how much easier the learning uh, or how much smaller the learning curve was going to be for me than I thought it was going to be. Did that, that's got to present some challenges for the work that you do now. Um, I mean, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but it seems like the difference in the high school experience that you had versus Mm -hmm. working with kids in high school right now might be tempted to... Oh, yeah. Remind them how easy they have it. But (laughs) I have done that quite a few times. I said, you know, in other countries, kids your age are killing people because they need to stay alive. They're at war. They don't care. Yeah. (laughs) You know, some of them don't. So uh, when did you get into dance? Was that while you were in the Middle East or was that when you came back? Uh, Well, I'd always been into dance. Okay. Um. Even while I was over there, so first of all, my major idols, of course, Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. and then uh, MC Hammer, uh-huh. <laughs> my oh, two yeah. favorite entertainers, dancers of all time at, at that point in my life. And uh, of course, I would practice Michael Jackson and MC Hammer moves. Front of the mirror, and I started. Yeah, uh-huh. and I started doing that when I was about eight. So that carried over until me going over there. Now over there, there wasn't a lot of Western music or a lot of dancing in general. Yeah. So when I would do the moonwalk, oh man! Not only was I the American, <laughs> right? But now I'm the American who can do Michael Jackson. Yeah, right? the celebrity. Yeah, and they're like, oh my gosh do the Michael Jackson because that's who they associate with yeah. that move. They just do the Michael Jackson and I would do it and I'm like, oh yeah. So that kind of pushed me to, to, to continue to dabble but I didn't actually get serious about learning um, style and foundation and technique mm-hmm. until I actually got back here to the United States. Okay. And was your family supportive of the dancing all along the way? Um, it wasn't something that I really put out to them like okay. that at that point. You know, it just was just a little thing I like to do, um, and I just did it with my friends. Sure. It wasn't something I focused on until until I really focused on it. And then when was that? Was That was when you came back, when you were 17, 18? 18. All it right. wasn't until after we graduated. All right. So I had uh, two other cousins that I hung out with all the time. Mm-hmm. My first cousin and my second cousin. And we did everything together, video games, arca- whatever it was. We did it together. One day after high school, my cousin calls me up. Now, <clears throat> when I came over here, my father and uh, the rest of my family went back to Saudi Arabia for oh, a year. Okay. And I was staying with my grandmother. And then sometimes I would stay at my aunt's house. They live six doors down. All right. So I was in the basement at my aunt's house. And my cousin calls me up. 
And uh, he wasn't there. He was like, hey, man, we're going to start breakdancing. <laughs> not do you want to. Not no, no. no. Yeah. He said, this is what we're doing. We are going to start breakdancing. I was like, okay, all right, let's do it. I'm down. And that was the point. Um, 18 years old, really late for a dancer in general to get yeah. started. But uh, we just ate, slept, and breathed breaking. Mm-hmm. Everything that had to do with breaking. We just we practiced all day, every day. In the lawn, there are big brown patches where uh-huh. we practice spinning. I'm sure our parents and our friends' parents weren't happy about that. Did you have the cardboard out? And, you know, nope. No? We didn't even do the cardboard. We were on the hard concrete. Okay. Yes. Many tears in our hands. Yeah. Uh, we were going full out. No With what? Did, was there a goal at this point? No. Just we're going to be great get at good. this. Okay. That was it. All right. That was it. <laughs> was there a scene in Cincinnati at that point? There was. There right. was a scene. And um, a particular group that we knew of that was called at the time Sixth Sense mm-hmm. was a b-boy crew. Um, and I think they were the only active b-boy crew in Cincinnati at that time. Um, there were some other what we call OGs mm-hmm. and uh, that were around the scene. But as far as breaking, they were the only group. And they were like uh, mentors for a few of us. Um, they'd already be, they started in, the, I want to say, late 90s. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get started till about 2000. Okay. So they'd had like a few years up on us and a lot of movement, a lot of skill. So we practiced with them. We enjoyed hanging out with them. They taught us some things. So that was dope. Oh. And there was a hip-hop scene in Cincinnati, you know, a very vibrant hip-hop scene. Um, Unfortunately, you know, that's kind of gone away and some other things have happened, but right. it was good back then. So uh, the transition from there to you becoming more and more serious about it, how so does that, that happen? Yeah, <laughs> that happened between me graduating high school and going to college in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So once I went to Michigan... All y'all who like Michigan don't hate me, okay? <laughs> I went to Eastern Michigan, okay. not University of Michigan, right. okay? All right, not the maize and blue. So uh, I get up there in 2000, and I'm at this school where there are no dancers uh-huh. at all, like no street dancers. For three years, I was the only person street dancing. Like I was going to frat parties, I was going to the bars, I was going everywhere and I would be popping and I would be breaking and nobody else would show up to dance with me and I just was that guy. I'm like, oh, you're the dancer dude, man. Oh, dude, you're awesome. All right. But you're not in a dance program up there. You're just, yeah. Oh, I was a sports medicine major. Okay. You know? And I just needed to keep keep practicing, to keep going. Nobody to practice with nothing. So after three years, um, I finally met some people that had been there the same amount of time I had, and uh, they were like, no. Mm-hmm. They were like, I can't believe it. Yeah. Can't believe you're here. So then after three years is when I realized, while I was by myself, mm-hmm. I could actually get good at this. So it doesn't sound like at any point there was even at that time an idea that dance was going to be your career no not at all that actually didn't really happen until about 2010 and what caused that what where was the switch so after school i came back home Mm -hmm. a lot of life happened and through this time i'm still you know dancing and traveling and battling and and winning battles and training and learning from originators and the style and still getting this knowledge but it's still a hobby at this point Mm -hmm. It wasn't until, I want to say, the summer of 2010, I'm working at TGI Fridays, Mm -hmm. and uh, my best friend, Adam Lane. What up, Alan? (laughs) He, uh, he he, He took us out someplace. Okay. And they played some good songs, and I'm like, oh, I like this. So I started dancing. And when I started dancing, people literally just stopped, like, just stopped doing what their people at the bar getting drinks stopped and they looked around people on the dance floor were stopped now I'm oblivious to this fact I did not know this until afterwards but he told me that night he was like 
why are you still working at Fridays? Hmm. And I said, what do you mean? Why am I still working at Fridays? I mean, I can make my own hours. I make tips. Like, I'm good to go. Yeah, what else like, would I be doing? Right. What else is there to do in life but work at Fridays? And he was like, no, but seriously, did you see the people in that bar? And I was like, no. He's mm-hmm. like, dude, he said, you have a gift. You're done with all this other stuff. Wow. And it still took a little bit for that to sink in, but that was the turning point. I, you know, went to Fridays still for the next, you know, six months, but I um, took a job at Hollywood Casino mm-hmm. where they had a club called Boogie Nights. I went there, auditioned as a dancer. They hired me on the spot. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So that, now I'm actually making money. Yeah dancing which i didn't think first was time ever a possibility yeah for the first time so that's that was really when it started to sink in that this should be something i should be doing seriously like cool. i need to really figure out how to make this work okay that's 2010 you said that was 2010 okay yeah and i've been training up until that point so did the shift to um this is something I never considered to now I'm actually making a living at it to this is going to be what my life is about Mm -hmm. happen quickly or did it still take some time? It still took a few years. Um, Obviously I'm navigating the waters because especially in Cincinnati or Midwest in general, there's no structure. There's no support for uh, street dancers or street culturists Mm -hmm. to make a living. There's no business model. There's, there's nothing. Um, if you go to, let's say you decide you want to be a, uh, a ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. You go to a studio, right? Or you go to a university. You major in dance. They teach you everything you need to know. There's a whole plan. You go the to whole a studio. Structure. You audition for a company. Yep. They put you in a play or, or a, uh, a show. You get signed, contract. You make money. Right. It's a job. You know how to do it. Somebody's done it before. Somebody's done it. 100 years before you, right? Yeah. Hip-hop, all right, is barely 50 years old. Yeah. Okay? We're still trying to figure out what our culture is. People are still trying to figure out what hip-hop is, mm-hmm. right? And then the different components, you know, the elements. So the DJing and the MC right now have become the biggest parts of hip-hop that yeah. people know. The graffiti artist is growing again now in popularity. Mm -hmm. The street dancer has always been popular, but has been the least, uh, I don't want to use the word respected, but for lack of a better term, the least respect of all of the elements. And it is the hardest route to follow because everybody wants to see the candy, but people don't really value that candy the way they should. Yeah, they don't want to pay for it. They don't want to support it. Yeah. Is there something about the street nature of it that tells people that they shouldn't have to? That, that in order for it to be legitimate, it should come from the street and it shouldn't be conservatory trained and stuff? You know, I'm sure there are people that do think like that. And on both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2010, when I started making money doing this... Uh, 2011 is when I created the character of the Millennium Robot. Uh huh. Up until that point, I was just showing up to the club, dancing my four hours, getting my $20 an hour, and piecing out, mm-hmm. right? I was making $200 a week for eight hours of work, and I'm like, this is amazing. Why aren't more people doing this? I know a ton of dancers that are dope mm-hmm. that could be making this kind of money at different clubs. But again, we go back to that perception of what street culture is, what people believe it to be, I should say. And um, Cincinnati is, in that area, very conservative, or it was at that time, very conservative. It was hard to really, you know, change that that Do you think it's changed? Ah, you trying to get me in trouble here? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not trying no, I'm to be provocative. You. you said you said you know it was back then. Like. Yes, it is. It in some ways. Okay. In some ways, it's changed. Obviously, there are some people here that have uh, changed their minds and mm-hmm. have been able to accept 
um, what has been for a very long time, and that it, it, the fact that street culture is our society. Mm-hmm. It's not a separate beast living on a hill somewhere. It is the evolution of culture. Absolutely, 100%. It's not just... And and the other thing about street culture is people confuse street culture with hip-hop culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to explain to people that um, hip-hop is a culture on its own. Mm -hmm. But street culture includes all cultures born outside of an institution. So skater culture includes... So if we want to talk about just the dance in general... You know, all the street styles that were created in the streets. House, crump, breaking, popping, locking, like these major five, Memphis style jerking, like these are all street style dances. Um, and some of them belong to hip hop and some of them don't. Right. Right? Breaking is the only hip hop, true hip hop dance style. That's it. So when people talk to me about, you know, oh, you break dance and they start doing waves and, and the robot. I'm like, but that's not breaking. Not, not the same. Not, that's not it. That's something that's not else, what I but do. I'm with you. I mean, I do that too, though. I do that too. So you've said that your goal is uh, to bring true street dance culture back to light in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I, I, there's a couple of things there. Back to light, you talked a little bit about there was a culture that sort of waned over time. Yes. So uh, what was there before that you're trying to resurrect? But then, like, what's your ultimate goal? What does that look like for you if you're successful over the next few years? Oh, okay. Are you ready for this? <laughs> we're we're I ready. I get kind of long-winded sometimes when I talk about this, you know? It's all right, man. Um, you got a microphone in front of you. Now is the time now to is be the long-winded. Time, right? <laughs> um, so bringing, bringing back the light. So when I got into the scene in Cincinnati... Uh, like I said, I started in 2000, and at that time there was a b-boy crew there. Um, they were around. They were visible. Uh, people knew who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, the hip-hop scene was vibrant. It was close-knit. They were doing great things. There was an amazing event back then called Scribble Jam. Um, that event just really revolutionized what people thought of when it came to the Midwestern mm. uh, hip-hop scene. Mm. I mean, greats like Eminem, for example, battled at Scribble Jam. Wow. You know, amazing DJs come here to battle. Like, B-Boys and Poppers came to Scribble Jam to battle, like, to Cincinnati. Right. You know, the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s was, was crazy for our culture here in Cincinnati. Like, people just, just came here for that. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, people left. It got, you know, it got harder for artists to, uh, outside of the, the rap game, to really, you know, make their mark. Authenticity started to go out the window um, as some of the, I call them, uh, the OGs, just people that came before me. As some of them started to transition out of the scene and into different life scenarios, nobody as authentic as them started filling in those spots mm-hmm. the dance scene for sure as soon as those b-boys transitioned out um nobody nobody fill filled spot. that spot yeah you know there were some other people like us our generation our group we would battle we would you know go to clubs and represent but we never formed like a crew you know like a like a Rock Force crew or Rhythm Bugs crew or Style Elements crew, like in other cities. We were just kind of just dancing, you know? Was that because, I mean, Cincinnati was in the early 2000s mm-hmm. a pretty troubled place. There was a lot going on that is culturally. True. Did that have to do with that or was it really it just because nobody was sort of passing stuff down? It could have. I did not personally notice anything directly related, but. When you think of the history of street cultures, um, all great, uh, all the great influences that came out of street culture happened out of times of struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is very likely that a lot of those things happened, uh, a lot of uh, upward 
movement passed after the riots, for example. Um, for people that don't know Cincinnati history, there were riots here in 2001, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just north of downtown in the community of over the Rhine. And my experience not being from here, but sort of hearing from it secondhand, mm-hmm. is basically white flight, like people mm-hmm. just fleeing to the suburbs and mm-hmm. heavy, heavy-handed policing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm in downtown and over the Rhine. Which was the problem in the first place. Right, which was what, co- what caused the riots. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but like that didn't stop as a result of that. It wasn't like there was a collaborative agreement, but it wasn't, right. you know. No. Yeah, what's, what's the, the, the term for it? Service. It's like broken there windows was, policing or something yeah, like that. Yeah. basically like nip it in the bud before it starts, which is incredibly discriminatory. Absolutely. And I could see... Uh, I could see how the the increased scrutiny and pressure mm-hmm. could just kill a, yeah, a cultural movement um, around that. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. Just you know, it, what's what's interesting is, and then I was only in and out of the city during those years, so right. I was only here, you know, winter breaks and summer vacations. Okay. Because I was going to school in Michigan, so I would come back and just get this huge download of information from people. And they would tell me, like, so-and-so's gone, and so-and-so died, and so-and-so left. And I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. You know? Um, but back then, it was, just, it was just so much more interest in mm. being authentic and being original and being good, mm-hmm. being just dope, you yeah. know? Not being, not looking like somebody else. Yeah. And... I think a lot of that, you know, with, with those cats and then us, many of our group transitioned and left the dance scene and, and, and whatnot. I'm one of the few that, that kept going. So there was no real hands-on guidance for the group that came after us here. They were kind of just trying to find their own way. And there were some b-boys that, that came out and that became dope in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to work really hard to do that, but unfortunately, it wasn't a lot. Yeah. And it was only over the last maybe five or six years that the scene is starting to grow a little bit more. Um, there's some, some interest coming back to breaking, coming back to popping and just street styles in general. But we still have a long, a long way to go. And that is, that's where my goal so let's talk about that. What yeah. what's your goal and let's move now into the work that you're doing right now. What do you what do you want to achieve and how will you know if you've achieved it? Yeah, so my number one goal for uh, street dance uh, in Cincinnati is to create an an economic system here where a street artist can make a living. Okay. That is my number one all-time goal mm-hmm. right and you know aside from that would be to have a show that I that produced by street dancers um, for the public to be played at the Aronoff Center okay fantastic that's a goal of mine so everybody listening is connected to the Aronoff that's connected to anybody that knows anything about the Aronoff that can help us create a show and put it on yeah. at the Aronoff yeah, you can give get us, at me. Give us a call. Put <laughs> Julius up uh, on the website or on your yeah, Facebook page you know, or, or any in the street, wherever you need to. You know, just find me. Yeah. <laughs> For people that are outside of Cincinnati, the Aronoff Center is the big performing arts space. It's yes. the space, you know, that people get all dolled up and go to the Broadway mm-hmm. shows and whatnot. But to see yes. street dance on that stage yes. would be a big statement. We've been there before, but always as part of another show brought in by somebody else narrative Um, but yeah so that's my goal is to create a scenario here in Cincinnati where street dancers uh, or street artists in general can can make a legit living where people know what street art is and value it for all the brilliance that it is Um, the amount of talent that we have here in Cincinnati is is unreal it's, it's amazing to me how we can have so many capable, intelligent, creative people in alternative styles that are just underutilized, mm-hmm. underrepresented, um, not taken seriously. Street culture is still looked at as 
it's like that, uh, like 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 an adult looking at a juvenile. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, they're growing up so fast. <laughs> yeah. Right. But we still don't take them seriously. Right. You know. Well, and there's an element of that that's like they'll get that out of their system eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's a phase, <clears throat> rather and than it is it, like we talked about the evolution of culture. It's yeah. 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 What is it about Cincinnati? Um, and again, I feel like I've been here 12 years now, but, mm. but um, I feel like the history of black culture in Cincinnati mm-hmm. is, is one of that feeling. Mm-hmm. Even though you got like King Records was here and James Brown was recording here. And Lucy Collins is still here. Right, like. still here and recording here and doing great <clears throat> stuff. But there, there still seems like this identity um, that is always... But it was never Memphis, you know. But it was never Detroit. insert the name of what? Never, yeah, it was never yeah, Detroit. It, yeah, it. I really, <laughs> you know. Now we're going into another area that is kind of that I'm kind of passionate about as well, you know, because it's all connected. Mm-hmm. When you look at street culture in general, it it takes all kinds or something like that to be successful. But ultimately, the creation of the street culture is, it is a black and brown movement, mm-hmm. you know? Um, breaking in, in the Bronx in, in, in the early 70s, you know? This amazing culture of hip hop was born out of ridiculous tragedy there, right? Poverty that like no one's ever known. You know, people living in burnt out buildings. You know, it was just no jobs, like no food. The people that created the dance were ex stick up kids, mm-hmm. gang members, you know, like African Bambada was part of the, the Black Spades, which yeah. was one of the biggest uh, gangs in the area at the time. Like, when you look at where the culture came from, and then you look at people who created this culture, and then you see what they had to come out of, and how they changed themselves, it is incredibly inspiring. And you would think that that would be a story that everybody would want to tell, everybody would want to know. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing is 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 uh, uh, true for Cincinnati. You know, I mean, we were a main stop on the Underground Railroad. Right. The Freedom Center is right. here, but yet we still have people here that are in charge of major um, companies that go out and tell stories about why they decide to get into community work and then show you a picture of two little black kids with guns pointed at at the camera and then they'll tell you how they change that block and they show you a picture that is full of white people and it's like oh okay yeah you changed the block good job by moving into it yeah you got rid of the people who lived there at first right and, you know, that takes us into a whole nother issue. But I feel like I don't want to go so far as to say black or brown people are not appreciated in Cincinnati. I don't think that's true at all. What I do think is there's still an underlying culture that permeates um, whenever people use certain buzzwords like yeah. street, yeah. like hip hop, like um, and anything associated with that. It's getting better. Yeah. And there are some really amazing warriors on both sides of the issue that are taking up the mantle and really pushing the fight for equality and, uh, and, 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 and trying to get rid of these, these stereotypes. One of whom is a, is a guy that actually got me the job at CCM, um, John Martin, and his amazing wife, uh, Eliza. Like... John is a classical flutist who is the assistant dean of the preparatory and engagement uh, uh, program at CCM. His wife is a classical violinist from Poland. Right. Not people with a deep hip-hop resume. Not at all. (laughs) This woman toured with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Mm. She uh, was touring with 30 Seconds to Mars. I mean, wow. she's done everything from work with Katy Perry to, like, all over the map. She, like, playing the violin, right? Yeah. Somehow she ended up in my hip-hop class at Elements. I love it. You know? And, and just fell in love with the culture. Yeah. 
the ideas that she was given about what street culture was before she got there mm -hmm. were what we talked about earlier. You know, this idea that you know street culture is associated with criminals, with thugs, with with negativity, and then she comes to our class and sees people of all levels in the same room doing the same thing, all together, supportive, positive, non-judgmental. Yeah. She said, I knew that this is what it was, hmm. and I just had to see it. That's great. And uh, from that point, she became our, our biggest advocate. And people like her, you know, bringing her husband in, making him also experience what we do in its element. And he was like, yo, what are we doing at CCM? You know? This is what we need to be teaching our students. This is what people need to be learning That's great. about the culture. And you know, people like that, they're the ones that are going to really help us push this fight and, and make my dream, <laughs> yeah. help make my dream come true here. So let's talk about, uh, and people I'm sure can hear in the background, when we, when we got here, this place wasn't open. It's open now. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a good atmosphere. But, uh, yeah, buzzing. Buzzing. And they're all but, looking at us like, what's going on over why there? Why are these people talking to microphones? You should invite them over and be like, hey, <laughs> just say something. Well, talk, let's talk now. We talked about a lot of the negatives or a lot of the challenges. Let's yes. talk about the work you're doing right now. Yes. What are you doing to change it? Tell us about the programs. Tell us about the Millennium Robots. Tell us about Elements. Tell us about what you're, at, what you're teaching every day yeah. at CCM. Definitely. Um, so in 2011, I created the character, the Millennium Robot, which was really just based on the uh, Las Vegas, uh, LA, um, or California in general, street style performer. Because mm -hmm. back in, in, the, in the 70s and 80s, street dancers couldn't get jobs. They weren't able to go into studios. They were told, you know, that's not a dance style, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, well, you know what? We're gonna make something anyway. We're gonna make something happen. So they figured out how to attract audiences and to get people to see what they were doing. Because it was only a small group of folks that kept them out of these places. Yeah. But society at large loved what they were doing. Yeah. And so when I paint up, it's kind of to pay, uh, it's, it's an homage to, to that struggle and uh, to the success that they eventually had because you know many of those street dancers went on to create and choreograph Broadway shows right. and um, television and, and movies and, and stuff like that. So uh, it, it's, it's like, it's just to give people a visual, um, a visual of what street culture could look like and that it can work here in mm -hmm. Cincinnati. So when I did that, I started adding people to the group because I realized like, man, you know, there's no real dance, street dance group here in Cincinnati. And I had some friends that, you know, we danced together. I said, why don't we just make a crew? So I started asking people over the years. And the first, the first person I asked was actually at the time a, I think, 16-year-old boy named Dylan Stone, Stoneburner, who has now grown up to be an amazing, uh, amazing young man. I'm so, so proud of him. His parents were so supportive. Uh, they took him to all the battles that they could. I met this kid when he was eight. And his parents take him to everything, right? That was inspiring to me. I said, oh my gosh, like the support that they have for him. How could we, how could I internalize that and then translate and give that support to, to others? And um, so I created the crew. And then with that, I decided to start targeting young people, um, doing shows, trying to get booked at different uh, electronic music events where I knew there were a lot of young people at. Um, we had a lot of support there. Um, and over the years, started transitioning into the educational role. So after performing and battling, um, I ended up teaching a class, which I never thought I would end up teaching. Mm -hmm. It's never a goal of mine to teach. I never thought I had enough information. I never thought I was good enough. I would never think that I would be able to give somebody something uh, worth having, I suppose. And somebody else had to talk me into that. A good friend of mine, Kelsa uh, Rieger or Robinson now, but she made me come to her class 
and she's the first person that taught me about house, first of all. But she made me come to her class, assist, and then she had a knee injury, and she said, well, it's yours now. <laughs> Congratulations. And I was like, what? You're a dance teacher. Yes. So that was my first experience teaching in a studio. So I taught there for four years, and it was amazing. It was really amazing to be in a studio full of kids that were there to learn what you were teaching. And that was just another, uh, another building block for me. Um, that's when I realized, okay, I could do both. I can perform, I can teach, and doing both of those things are gonna help me create an image among the people that they can recognize and that they can respect. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up, I've been in and out of elements you know, over those years, but um, I had some friends of mine that worked full time for Elements and the dance program there. And uh, before I created the robots, I was part of another crew called the 2020 Crew, mm -hmm. which was an all styles uh, choreography group. And it was dope. Mm -hmm. Like, we made it to America's Best Dance Crew, like, you know, final cut, but that's a sore subject, so I'm not <laughs> gonna go there. But, uh, you know, some of those people from that group were working at Elements. Okay. I reconnected with them, and they were like, yo, like, you know, we got this whole group of kids here, man. And I didn't realize what impact the robot character had had on people, or how far it had traveled. But I had people coming up to me like, oh, snap, dude. Like, they would see me dancing somewhere, and they would say, you're that robot guy from from the Hollywood Casino. And I was like, oh, snap. I'm like, dude, you're awesome. I'm like, oh, that's all. Okay, cool. Dope. And the kids did the same thing. They're like, dude, I saw you at wherever. So that kind of helped me get further into the education role. Community activism started getting into my mind as far as how do I push what I do or use what I do to help push the youth to give them a sense of identity, to give them some, uh, I guess just to give them an, an, an idea of what they can do with their talent. You don't have to, I'm not saying don't go to college, but I'm saying if you are very talented at something, mm -hmm. you can pursue that and become good at it and do everything you want to do with it. A lot of people tell me that before me doing the character of the robot, that nobody has had that kind of success here in Cincinnati. I've been able to, with that character and then with other opportunities, raise, and I'd like to say some way, or, uh, the, or lift the perception of negativity away from street culture. Yeah. Now people wanna, wanna talk, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> right about street culture imagine you know I got invited yeah. to sit on a panel with the CEO of the ballet to and and other you know highly renowned choreographers to talk about street dance mm -hmm. and everybody had questions for me I felt kind of like oh y'all I'm gonna ask them some questions I'm gonna put this ask them questions <laughs> and they just wanted to know about street culture so I'm, I'm learning now that, they, that people want to know and I'm learning how to get that information out and I'm learning what, what, what methods are working for what groups of people in addition to learning about all the different groups of people that could be potentially interested in this. Um, so yeah, that's... Uh, it seems like there'd be a big need in what you're doing and, and you embody everything that you've been talking about, sort of a positivity Definitely. in what you're doing because yeah. there could be a lot of, fine, you guys don't want to know? Yeah. Like, uh, and that's, where, that's why we're where we're at today. Yeah. People don't share information. Mm -hmm. People get their feelings hurt. They take things the wrong way. Mm -hmm. The one thing that we don't do very well in street culture is business. Mm -hmm. And creating... A performance group of the Millennium Robots and then creating an event, Heroes Rise, has, uh, and then of course, my lady <laughs> has, has taught me a lot about, about business. 
and you can't you can't have feelings. You just have to be prepared. Mm. Um, nothing is going to go right 100% of the time. Yeah. And I have to say, I honestly have been really lucky to be where I'm at. I dance full time. Mm-hmm. I pay all my bills mm-hmm. with dance money yeah. in Cincinnati. Yeah. People are like, that's not possible. When I first started, people were like, oh, so what else do you do? I'm like, I just, I just dance. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but like, I mean, what's your other job? And I was like, yeah, just dance. Uh-huh. And they're like, seriously? Are you teaching at a studio or something? That time, I, you know, I wasn't. Yeah. I'm like, nope, just performing. And then later on, performing and teaching. And they're like, wow, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> no, it's all related. And I think that, that transition from dancing to judging to teaching, yes. which, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I kind of like to talk to people about is the mm-hmm. intention or the lack of intention. Like some folks look like they had a path and look like they had, they knew from when they were six that this is the only thing they ever wanted to do. And then you and then you talk to those people, and very often it's not that way. Mm-hmm. It, it looked like that. Other people are like, "I'm just trying to do the thing that I want to do. I'm trying to remove the obstacles yes. to that thing." And you find yourself yes. on a panel with the ballet, or you find yourself <laughs> being the spokesman for a movement in a city that maybe you never intended to be, but you're obviously yes. the right person to be that. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, every time. I think about that, and people say that to me, from other cities even, They're like, Cincinnati is, is about to blow up with this, hmm. like, you're the guy to do it, right on. and yeah. I'm like, don't put that on me, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a lot to carry. Don't put that on me, like, there, there are a lot of moving parts, and there are a lot of people connected to, to the scene. I like to be a connector. Um, we were talking about the business aspect of things. I think when you were saying, you know, it's hard for people to not just say, well, you don't want it and I'm not giving it to you. It's very easy for people to say that. And I think that is the mentality that's gotten us to where we are, which is nowhere, essentially. We have to really embrace each other. Um, We have to really respect what each other's doing. I mean, it's 2018. In August, it'll be 18 years that I've been doing this you know when you think about how long 18 years is to study anything yeah you know how long does it take to get a PhD you know what I mean you're talking about six to eight years so I could have gone to school for this and earned two PhDs in what I'm doing and this is how I like to explain that to folks that aren't part of the culture Mm -hmm. they say look our education doesn't come from a classroom all the years and all the money we spend traveling to events, the number one thing that street culture has over a lot of the other cultures, traditional classical uh, styles, is that our originators are still alive. Yeah. You can literally fly to Vegas or LA or New York and talk to, you know, Mr. Wiggles. You can talk to Bambata. Yeah. You can talk to Cool Herc. So. The one thing we didn't do well, though, is, is, is the business side. We let other people do that for us. And but there's hip-hop. examples of that over yeah. the last decade, too, Yeah. of people you know, in the hip-hop world. Like, obviously, there's the moguls, you know, there's yep. Jay-Z and, and whatever. Yeah, but there's people, and, yeah. yeah, but there's people on a local level that are yeah. showing how to do that yeah. on a sustainable level, like yourself. Yes. Well, I think that's another thing that people had... Uh, that, that made people pay attention to me a little bit is me trying to, to, to move forward in a scenario like when I would hire people to do shows with us or to come help me do street shows, like I pay them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a strong believer in paying people for their time, paying people for their talent, um, this whole experience you know, come dance for us and it'll be amazing exposure for you. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but people kind of know who I am already, so I'm just going to need a check. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I know what that feels like. Yeah. 
dancers, street dancers all over the world knows, know what that feels like. You're not going to go up to a, a, uh, a, a contemporary dancer that has been dancing for 15 years, 10 years, mm-hmm. five years, and say, come do this show for me. The exposure is going to be crazy. Yeah, uh-huh. right. The company is going to, their company that they're a part of, the structure that they were grown up in is going to say, yeah, no, we're going to kind of need $1,200 from you and you're just going to get an hour of their time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Street dancers have been uh, manipulated by the idea that we're not worth as much. Mm-hmm. So we have to do whatever, we have to accept whatever somebody gives us. And it's that mentality I'm trying to move away from. Yeah. It's like, no. Can you do what I do? Yeah. Can you do what he does? Can you do what she's doing? Mm-hmm. No. No, you can't. Do you know anybody else that can? No, you don't. Yep. So what do you do, right? And if you're making money off this, exactly. we better be making some money off you this as well. You mean to tell me it's $100 to get in this place, but you just want us to mm-hmm. dance for free? Yeah. So, you know, it's that, that, that mentality I'm trying to create um, business-wise with, with the youth, mm-hmm. with other artists, with other dancers. Know your worth value yourself that's another big mission of mine Um, another part of my mission I should say yeah I mean it seems like for a lot of people in all different walks of life so much of what's tied up in ideas of work is also tied up in ideas of respect yes and you know they go hand in hand for sure right does my work give me self respect yes Uh, what do I have to do in order to get it those are those are big issues for a lot of people definitely and then as artists too that's oh yeah always we are the most uh, self-conscious people the most we have the lowest self-esteem because we're constantly putting ourselves out there mm-hmm. and we're hoping that people get us yeah. right the role of the artist is to simply just be understood that's all we want right so when we create something we do something and people accept it and they enjoy it they respect it that is the first hurdle for us. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, so they get how I think. They understand how, what I like. They, they get me. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the other stuff is, is extra. But fortunately, the world we live in, somebody is always going to take advantage of yeah. you. But, uh, you know, as far as just keeping an, an, a, a positive mindset, um, about what you're doing Mm -hmm. and knowing your worth Mm -hmm. knowing that no matter what you're doing if you become good at it people will respect you it's not always necessarily the product that people respect sometimes it's the grind Mm -hmm. right people learn about your path and they learn about what you've done to get to where you are or they learn about how what your inspiration was behind a piece whatever it was it's the progress that people tend to respect and uh, I think that that is something that I've managed to earn, still earning, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. What are the kids that you're teaching uh, at, you know, at Elements, mm-hmm. uh, the kids who are coming up through CCM? Yes. What do they think about work? You know, I feel like... Um, That's a good question. <laughs> well, like, you know, the, 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 the happy-go-lucky American ideal is you got a little kid in the suburbs and somebody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, whatever else. Mm-hmm. What, how do these kids answer that question? Do they feel like they get to make those decisions? Do they feel like the opportunities are available to them to even dream? And how are you, yes. how are you having an impact on that? That is uh, a really interesting question. <laughs> You're good, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... What's deep about that is most of the kids and youth, I should say, that I work with, um, aside from CCM, are going to be uh, kids in the Cincinnati public school system. In a lot of cases, they're coming from an underprivileged background, um, living in a, you know, lower income neighborhood, not a lot of outlets artistically, not a lot of options in general. Yeah. So... When you talk about what their mindset is, we already know that statistically, those areas, in those areas, people are going to have 
the, the mindset that there are less options available to yeah. them um, in general. So when you think about all the stereotypical things that somebody would say, if you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? They're going to say those things mm-hmm. or they're going to say the things that they see, you know? Yeah. They want to be a, an athlete. Mm-hmm. They want to be a, a musician, um, a rap artist, you know, DJ. Um, in some cases, they want to run the block, yeah. you know, like... But when they learn about what I do for a living, it's just so crazy to them, to most people, really. I mean, how serious is someone want to take a guy that paints up silver and street dances, you know what I mean, for a living? And then, you know, like, what? But then they find out that you're doing it and that it works. And then, yes. Yeah. And then they find out all the other things that I've done. Yeah. Um, the street dance is just one small part. I only do the street show at Newport on the Levee. Mm-hmm. Shout out Newport on the Levee. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I only do that show at Newport on the Levee. Everything else is a stage show or it's teaching. Mm-hmm. And just doing those things have given me, have opened up so many doors. Like, I'm like, understand that there are opportunities out there beyond what you think. Don't limit yourself. And when I talk to these young folks and find out these are the things that are on their minds, mm-hmm. every now and actually more often than not, they surprise me. You know, sometimes they'll say something outlandish, you know, and I'll be like, really? Mm-hmm. You know, or they'll surprise me about some information that they know about history. And I'll say, really? I said, then why don't you do that? Yeah. You know, like I told this other kid uh, just the other day, um, a young man named Deontay uh, at Winton Hills Academy. He's in the fifth grade, I want to say. And, you know, I dropped a dollar out of my pocket and he picked it up and he's like, hey, man, you dropped your dollar. And I was like, oh, no doubt. I appreciate it. He's like, all right, so you should... uh." You should, like, give that to me since, since I, like, found it for you. <laughs> and I was like, I'll tell you what. You come up with a way to make money doing that, and I'll give it to you. Hmm. And he's like, like, what you mean? And he said, I said, start your own business. He was like, you mean, like, make, a, make an idea or something that... I can do to get people to give me money all the time like that? I was like, yeah. I was like, the job already exists. Mm-hmm. It's called banking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's out there. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it's out there, man. I just want you to think about how you can make your own money. Mm-hmm. And he's, she just looked at me like, yeah. I wear my, okay, so I have my Heroes Rise t-shirt on. Mm-hmm. I have a logo for the Millennium Robots. I only wear my own gear, Okay. I don't buy clothes that often. I buy a lot of Pumas, but I always represent my, my, my group. Yep. And kids ask me, they're like, man, why you always got that, that shirt on with a shirt with a logo like that on there? I said, well, that's my business. And they're like, you have a business? You know? Yeah. And they say, what do you do? I was like, what I'm doing right now? Like, you dance? You teaching dance? This is a business? This is? Yeah. So I'm slowly opening their minds to other ideas okay other ways that they can go yeah. you don't have to just follow the the norm I had a conversation a, a year or so ago with my 16 year old yeah and we were talking about work and he was asking me uh, about like we had driven by some big huge like coal plant on the river right on you know and he was like what goes on in there what do people do it and I tried mm. to say well there's people doing this and people doing this and we got to this we got to this point in the discussion where he said, "You know, I feel like I feel like everybody always says anybody can do what they want to do, but you never see anybody do that. Mm-hmm. Like you never see anybody actually doing what they really want to do." And that insight Deep. of how how important it is not just to be able to Deep. see the end product, 
you know, yes. not for, for those kids to be able to see you, not that you're at the end, but it's like you've achieved. Yeah. You're in that position. You're saying, I did all these things and now I'm here. But to see somebody along the way yes. and say, and here's how you get here. Yes. Here's the series of decisions that you make that end up with this yes. product. And that's why it's so valuable what you're doing is because it doesn't do any good for anybody to come in and say, Darn it, kids, you can do anything you want to do. They got to see somebody doing what they want to do, and they got to see what it results oh, in. Oh, man. That's, I mean, hit the nail right on the head, you know? Um, it, it's like when you, when you talk about what they think about work. You know, this is just my CPS folks. Mm-hmm. But then I, I go to the college level, at CCM and my street dance class is full of non-dancers, you know? Almost none of them have danced ever. Yeah. Like in a class setting, in any any setting. Just at the club, maybe, you know, two-step. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at my class roster and I can see like what everybody's majoring in. And I've got like biochemists mm. and and archaeologists and like people that are going into these amazing fields that are like, I want to take this hip hop class. And it was literally like a, a slice and of, of what street culture is about. You know, these people are going in and they are doing what I'm assuming most of them want to be going into. But being open-minded and coming in to also do this and how this is that yeah the number of, of doctors and lawyers that we have that are professional street stylists <laughs> like I was just at a battle in in Los Angeles uh, a couple months ago and a good friend of mine who got his MD and then quit <laughs> to start a nonprofit to help promote street dance culture throughout the country yeah I mean that to me is one of the most inspiring things ever because this is so important to him that what he spent 10 years doing preparing for as a career he just let it go and said you know what that's not for me Um, I use that lesson a lot to help explain the idea of what work is like to me I don't feel like you know I do work you know in the traditional sense of the word I do work in the street sense of the word right when we say do work that means go out there and and represent you know put it down you know uh, uh, do your thing and do it the best. Yeah, bring yourself to it. Yeah. Fully. Yes. Yeah, because yes. you can't you can't half-ass it in that world if that's, you're not. That's right. It's, it's tough, you yeah. know. And you have to have a passion for it. But when you when you explain this or you listen to somebody else's idea about um, potential work or their their idea about what they're doing now, you do get kind of. I don't want to say disappointed sometimes um, because of what you just said about, you know, what, what, your, uh, what your son was saying. Mm-hmm. People are doing a lot of things, but not because they want to. And I hear that a lot. Yeah. But then I hear the opposite. Yeah. I hear people over here starting organizations and, and becoming a part of movements that are really going to be integral to the, 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 the upward mobility of our lower class citizens, especially when it comes to culture and art and awareness. And that is exciting to me. Yeah, It's dope to be in the scene right now because things have never been so clear, I should say, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like you can clearly see who, for lack of a better term, who the enemy is, Yeah, right? And then you can clearly see who the superheroes are or who are going or going to be, you know? Yeah. And that to me is dope. I feel like people say, man, the 60s and we're like, and I'm like, dude, oh, we missed the 60s, you know, like the civil rights movement. Like, oh, man. And I think 
we are now moving into our own era of a civil rights movement, and this is just a small slice yeah. of uh, of where that movement is going. That's I powerful think. stuff. I, yeah. yeah, man, deep. Yeah, <laughs> Julius, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. It's really been a pleasure and an inspiration oh, hearing no, about what you're doing. Uh, thank you. This episode of the Distiller Podcast was recorded live at the Incline Public House, 2601 West 8th Street in Cincinnati's Price Hill neighborhood. Thanks again to Julius Jenkins, a.k.a. Eclipse, a.k.a. The Millennium Robot, for joining us on the show. You can learn more about Julius's work bringing street culture back to light in Cincinnati by checking out this episode on thedistillerpodcast.com. We have photos, information, links to elements where he teaches street dance and videos of him in action. It's powerful stuff. Check it out. Thanks again to Flo, Christine, and John from the Incline Public House, a great place with a spectacular view. We also have links to their website and Facebook pages on our website. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production, booking, and photography from Terry Heist. The show is mixed by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan, and our videos are by Mike Helm. You can find The Distiller on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you like what you hear, please rate or review The Distiller wherever you listen. You can also download episodes, find links and information, including photos of the guests and all the locations, and get in touch with us all at thedistillerpodcast.com or by email to mail at thedistillerpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can suggest people you think should be on the show to talk about their search for meaningful work. You can let us know if there's somewhere interesting we should record the show or something interesting we should drink while doing it, whether by email, on the website, or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. However you do it, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>